0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Bailey Larson. Dr. Larson is the Strategic Initiatives Associate for ASHP and a graduate from the University of Colorado College of Pharmacy. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Larson.
1: Thanks, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, well, you know, I'm glad you're here because ASHP has really been supporting a new act. It's called the Right Drug Dose Right Now Act. Can you kind of inform the listeners like what this is and kind of why ASHP is supporting it?
1: Yes, thank you. So this Right Drug Dose Right Now Act is a bill that focuses on basically reducing drug events through the use of pharmacogenomic testing. So I'm sure most of your listeners know this, but just as a reminder, some clinical pharmacogenomics is the practice of using genetic information to guide optimal drug selection and drug dosing for patients to maximize therapeutic events, improve outcomes, and minimize toxicity. So this film was introduced in February of this year by Eric Swalwell from California as the Democrat lead and Tom Emmer from Minnesota is the Republican lead. It really has three main components that appropriate seven million dollars each year from 2022 to 2025 to the NIH for maintenance of pharmacogenomic implementation research. So the three components, I'll break them down for you. The first one is education for patients and providers So some of the funding would go towards educating the care team on how to use test results to adjust the prescription or change a health plan, for example. It would offer education on pharmacogenomic training. And then they even included things like a national multimedia campaign to reach rural regions and also include community health centers, community pharmacies, and other local health clinics. The second main component is updating the National Action Plan for Adverse Drug Event Prevention, which currently only involves three main drug classes. These are anticoagulants, diabetes, and opioids. This hasn't been updated since 2014, so ASHP is really in support of this update. It's very reasonable to update this. These three drug classes are major contributors to adverse drug events, as we know, but they're just a small piece of the overall problem. Even within a drug class, we know as pharmacists, there's major differences exist in the pharmacokinetics of these drugs, and therefore there are major differences in drug gene interactions. Other elements to reduce adverse drug events is assessment of patient characteristics and social determinants of health, concurrent medications, and medical conditions to optimize medications to improve outcomes of safety and efficacy. The third component of this bill is all about improving the electronic health record system to improve the use of pharmacogenomic information. This would include real-time pharmacy benefit checks, electronic prescribing systems, automatic alerts when testing is appropriate or when a drug gene or drug-drug gene associated is is noted. You mentioned having EHR access at your FQHC, so you mm-hmm. know the importance of having that accessible at pharmacies. And if this pharmacogenomic information was available, it would make that even more helpful to the care team. So that's just kind of a big-picture overview of the bill.
0: That might be the overview, but that's still a lot that goes in there. So I mean, <laughs> I think that the AHR thing is really cool because it allows if uh, maybe you have more patients who are a little difficult or you know treatment resistant. As people might call it for like some psych medications. You can really kind of do that test and then look at kind of like, hey, are they fast metabolizer, slow metabolizer, some of those type of things, or even you know for drugs like addiction, like we you know buprenorphine. If you're a fast metabolizer three or four, that can be a big problem. If to get in the weeds a little bit. But I think that the training thing is cool, too, because there's a lot of money being sunk into training with that. And we've seen a lot of where pharmacists have kind of started their own business with, you know, training people on how to do that, how to read it, what the tests are, and the, how to order the labs and stuff like that. Is that kind of really one of the, the major pieces that ASHP is really excited about? And for that reason, because it does give pharmacists like almost like that autonomy level that we are really the experts in that might not have had before.
1: Yeah, exactly. We know that this is a great opportunity for pharmacists to really lead, in. this is our expertise. This is our wheelhouse. And as pharmacists, a part of the care team, we know that we not only have the expertise, but can help educate the rest of the care team about pharmacogenomics, including when we um, you know, perform comprehensive medication management and helping to decide which patient is eligible for tests. What the tests mean, and then with those results, how do we go forward with that care plan? So, you're right. This is this is something that we've been hearing from our members is important to them because it has such potential to create better patient outcomes.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really cool too because the you know what it means for pharmacists. Like we almost get put in the driver's seat because I don't know if I ever talk about enzymes or my clinical team talks about enzymes Any of the providers some of them are good but like there was one the other day they asked me a question and i brought something up and they just kind of like stared at me blankly and i'm like it means you're gonna have to give a higher <sighs> dose and <laughs> it was just kind of like one of those like yeah i didn't think about that before it came out of my mouth type of things and so this would really i don't want to say cause confusion but really kind of show them our value because we can just kind of go and interpret that right away like off the top of our heads and i think that's pretty cool the um the action plan for safety is interesting. So when you talk about that and, like, you know, even with the EHR of, like, flagging gene things, is I, I don't even know what that looks like. Like, in a, in a dream world, what would that look like to you or to, you know, people at ASHP?
1: You know, the, the bill is a little vague when it comes to the EHR updates, which is maybe positive, and, but I know that when we offered feedback, one of our, part of our feedback was, when this goes to markup, which we have a feeling that it will soon, let's really try to get specific about what we're asking for in the EHR. And as pharmacists we know that medication optimization relies on not only data but current health information capturing, you know, real time information about the patient and their clinical status. So I think this could this could look like A lot of things. I think the most important is that providers including pharmacists and all members of the care team are alerted when there's either an opportunity for a test or when we know that based on a diagnosis or medication that they're on that a test result can affect what the next step is going forward. And for my sense in a hospital it was there just wasn't a great place for it in the HR. It would either come up as an allergy and then the tenant can just be, you know, overridden or it's buried somewhere in the notes. So ideally it would be great if some of this funding could really go towards a consistent, clear, um, non-burdensome way for all members of the healthcare team to just quickly access this information. And it, we know that burnout is a huge problem for pharmacists and care team members and part of you know one of the big things is just this administration burden and so I I don't want to create another another process another workaround if it could just be simple and clear and a simple alert telling you exactly what you need to do or you know a a quick referral to the pharmacist and and passing it on to them I think that would be the simplest solution
0: yeah I was picturing I guess you know in my head too I I really like the way you described that I was thinking, like, eventually if you get this integrated into, like, an EHR, it could probably even move its way even to, like, a retail-type setting where if a prescription is sent and it's, like, an odd dose or something weird or it's a weird combination, like, the prescriber could easily have in the notes, like, hey, there's this pharmacogenomic thing and they're a fast metabolizer of this enzyme. And they could be like, ah, that clarified it real quick. Instead of having to call, I'll go back and forth. And so that sort of integration would be really cool to help actually increase, and in like, the – the speed of care to patient and also decrease the amount of like wasted time going back and forth with checks with like, you know, a pharmacist in general, like who's questioning something cause they can't see it or they're not sure. And I thought that was a really, a really cool thing that could be integrated with something like this that would really make it flow well. And, you know, if you, you know, you had a specific population or somebody who identified, it was a certain race that we know has a higher rate of being a faster, sl- poor metabolizer of something and they're on that drug, maybe the system would flag it. And then if you ever see pharmacogenomics, people are immediately going to think pharmacy just because of the name. So that might be a good way to really get the pharmacy team involved in that. So I think that's that's pretty cool too.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, we just released a set of recommendations for CMM practices to ensure high-quality care with our work through GTMRX, or Get the Medications Right Institute. And one of those 10 recommendations is you know, saying that clinicians delivering CMM should have access to clinical information at the point of care. And it exactly comes back to this. So I I think that's, that's a great point. And so that's a big opportunity for pharmacists. And I think the other thing that we kind of touched on is just pharmacists' ability to educate patients, pharmacists, and other healthcare professionals about the principles and appropriate indications for pharmacogenomic testing and then communicating the specific drug therapy recommendations to the healthcare team.
0: Yeah, that's obviously that that's what we do. So I think that's great to really. Integrate yeah. That. yeah. So what, what would something like this mean for patients?
1: A lot of patients would benefit from a bill like this because we know we have data that pharmacogenomics <laughs> improves patient outcomes. They have improved care. They stay out of the hospital. They have a better quality of life. Um, All because they have less adverse drug events because they have this tailored therapy. Patients who would benefit the most is, I think all patients have the potential. We see pharmacogenomics really have benefit in disease states. We all think of cardiovascular disease, I think, off the top of our head. Other disease states include cancer, pain management, autoimmune disorders, mental health, and then infectious disease. So... Part of the funding also not only goes to the healthcare team, but also educating patients on the benefit of pharmacogenomic testing so that they can kind of advocate for this for themselves, too.
0: You know, one thing that I thought of immediately when I saw this pharmacogenetics testing and this act specifically was it could be a major step in health equity. And what I mean with that is when you look at a lot of your studies that are originally done on, you know, your the people who apply for pharmacy drug studies, minorities tend to be underrepresented and we all know that there are some small differences with how people metabolize and I'm not picking on anyone individually like no one is the norm in this case. everyone does things differently, right But that's a way that if we go, hey, this isn't working or hey, maybe we need to you know check this on the person, whatever it is, we can then, as you said, tailor the therapy so that they're getting, the appropriate treatment for them, which if we were following the guidelines or the dosing or whatever, you know, strict structure we stick to because we're pharmacists, we're really nerdy and live in the guidelines all day, then we can actually tailor to them a little better and then give them better health outcomes for that. And I also wonder that, you know, if we talk about people with low health literacy, maybe we can help them a little bit too because we might get the drug right the first time. And you know, that would help, you know, reduce things like hospitalizations and ER visits and things like that. So I really look at this as a way to kind of, I'm not going to say we're going to achieve health equity with it, but to improve health equity. Was that something you agree with?
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And even the fact that this bill would update the national action plan for adverse drug events, that would be huge. If, If we could even allow this action plan to include more than just those three drug classes. So Their proposed plan is to, one, be able to incorporate data directly from the EHR into this national kind of database, and two, allow patients to input things like their genetic information and just other drug classes and other genetic factors. That would be huge for health equity because, you know, think of all just the larger patient population that you're reaching with this information that goes into this you know, national plan. The other thing is, unfortunately, this bill doesn't address reimbursement, which like I think we still have, you know, need to tackle that. And we need to work with, you know, our max and, and our federal government for payments. And that would address health equity too. But I think this is a really great step.
0: Yeah, and you know, just like pharmacists, we focus on the patient and forget the the pennies that have to pay for it sometimes. But so I think that's kind of fitting, but uh, nonetheless, that is important because, like you said, you want to get paid for it. But I think it's a it's a really cool step. And then I guess possibly, if you saw the the proof in the pudding with how well it worked, you could then ask for the funds after that. So maybe that's what they're thinking with how this was introduced. But again, I don't want to put words in the uh, the, the bill sponsor's mouth. So I think that that's a interesting way for yeah.
1: Them. Yeah, you're right, it, and I, maybe I spoke too soon. Reimbursement would be ideal for the pharmacist services, but even um, allowing, you know, preemptive testing, because right now the payment is, you know, you have to have a diagnosis, and only a specific physician can order the test. And in some states, it can be a psychiatrist, but not all states. And in order to in, improve health equity, like you were saying, we really just need to to broaden that so the testing is is more equitable and more available so that it doesn't have to come out of out of pocket for patients that really want these tests without the you know exact diagnosis that their insurance if any pays for well, but, uh, but we'll focus on we'll focus on the positives here
0: <laughs> no you're right you're right take take uh, take good when you can make good with it so but you know yeah. the other thing too is unlike covid vaccines this is just something that people have to get one of and they should be good for life so that would be a huge benefit too because you might catch something down the road or prevent something down the road by doing that. Not that everybody's going to want it or need it, but that might be a really cool thing about this that's different is it's not like your DNA is going to go completely flip overnight with how something happens. So yeah. there, there could be some upregulation due to some other issue, but at least you would know baseline kind of where they were. So that's a that's what makes this a little bit different and unlike the... You know the boosters we keep having to giving with COVID at the at the time,
1: right? Right, but I think that's a really, um, really cool thing about pharmacogenomics is, and you kind of stole my answer for one of the questions I know you're going to ask me because I completely agree. And if if more people could just get these tests, even at either a younger age or at an initial diagnosis and not wait until after a cardiac event or until after you've been diagnosed with depression and trying to treat it for a year. If we could get some of these tests earlier and a tailor our treatment sooner and not have to go through three or four you know, different medications and hospitalizations, I, I just think that would be such a benefit to not only the patient but also our healthcare system.
0: Yeah, ounce of prevention, pound of cure. It's way easier to prevent than yeah. There's treat in the ER, right? Like, that just makes sense. Yeah. All right, so I we obviously know ASHP supporting this. I'm not sure if there's anybody else who jumped on board. I will save that for you to share. But who else jumped on board to support this, and what can others do to express their support for this?
1: Yeah, good question. So this bill is popular. It's got bipartisan support. There's really no one that is opposing it, which is, which is great.
0: Wait, you mean um, Congress has something bipartisan for once? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, well, I am, am saying that. <laughs> yes. It's, it's really positive. It, it's exciting to see personalized medicine coalition helped get this bill introduced GTMRX, which is get the medications right Institute, which is a, a group that ASHP was a founding funder of that has positions <laughs> and employer groups and labs and pharmacists. There's, it has a lot of support from external stakeholders, and obviously ASHP supports it, as I've been passionately <laughs> emphasizing, but it, it really does support our Mission Village, and, and we have you know policy statements about this. So for others to express your support, we just right now are at the stage where we need to garner some um, additional co-sponsors. It's currently sitting in council. So the best thing to do is to contact your Congress member. As a constituent, your voice really does matter. And um, now's the opportunity to allow your voice to be heard. They want to hear from you. And if you can email them or or call them, you know, it doesn't, I think it takes less maybe than people think to really have them kind of consider this and listen and consider joining as a co-sponsor. You can go to congress.gov and search for the bill, and then there's a button right there that just says contact your member, I think is the easiest way.
0: I will be doing that immediately after this podcast, (laughs) even though I know they're also all running in primary. Well, the primary's just finished here in Ohio, so hopefully they'll, uh, you know, but that is what it is. So yeah, hopefully everyone can go do that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes because that is beyond useful, even outside of pharmacy, if you want to be a voice who gets heard. So I think that's great to share. Well, I can't, be great. I can't let you go, Dr. Larson, without asking two questions to ask anybody, which I might have stole your thunder on one, apparently. But, <laughs> but uh, if you could change one thing about pharmacy that is not a law, what would it be?
1: You You get a lot of good answers for this on your podcast. And I've been thinking about it. And this is, you know, this is kind of my job as an ASHP employee. <laughs> I work for you. So my whole job is thinking about pharmacist issues and how I can help. So... I think because of the theme of the podcast, I've I've really been reflecting and kind of working in the pharmacogenomics space now in the SHP Innovation Center for almost two years. So I really, really wish that pharmacogenomics panel-based tests were a standard of care and paid for. Instead of CMS allowing uh, medical administrative contractors or MACs and state Medicaid agencies to make their own coverage determinations, And as you said, you know, panel-based tests were standard of care before a diagnosis. It would save time. It would reduce costs and ADEs and stay on the patient's medical record for the foreseeable future in case something did come up like a cardiac event.
0: I get what you're saying with that, and I think that's a good thing to change. Well, moving from that one, uh, the last question, if you could change one law in pharmacy, federal or state, you'll probably go federal since you work for a national organization. What (laughs) would it be and Why?
1: So my answer to this one is actually the MAT Act, which is the Mainstreaming Addiction Treatment Act. ASHP is working on legislation right now that would eliminate the X waiver, um, which the MAT Act does. Uh, this bill would remove the requirement that a healthcare practitioner uh, has to apply for a separate waiver through the DEA to dispense certain narcotics. And I'm, I'm sure we are familiar with this, including buprenorphine for mostly substance use disorder. I really believe that if this flavor was eliminated, that pharmacists could play a huge role to expand access to this clinical therapy. They could easily take on the role of prescribing MAT, um, particularly to address gaps in care. They can help develop treatment plans, communicate with patients, coordinate care, and monitor adherence and improvement, along with um, prescribing and dispensing drugs like buprenorphine. So right now we have, uh, there's close to 250 co-sponsors on the House and it's gaining momentum. So one to one to keep your eye
0: on. Yeah, that would be huge. I, I know that President Biden has brought up a lot of changes around when it comes to addiction and things like this. So hopefully that this will have some momentum, not just because it's him, but just because I think it's the right thing to do if we want to fix the opioid issues that we have, especially because... It was pretty massive, especially with COVID and all the stress made it worse. And this is actually one that with where I work and the services we offer is close to my heart because there's only so many people who, you know, a lot of them have XDEA waivers, but if they, they need to take vacations too, right? So who fills in for them when they're gone? Like just those patients who we know who are steady, do we try and cram, all in ahead of time? Do we try and give them extra refills to get them in after that? Like, how do we handle that? And like you said, the pharmacy team, someone's always going to be there to dispense stuff unless, you know, the power goes out or something crazy happens. So they're like the perfect people to help kind of bridge some of that and really fill in the gaps there, especially since we, we know what we're doing. We can see their refill history. We can access their PDMP. we can see all that. It can just be a simple screen and go for the most part when it comes to that, obviously there's a little more to it, but I'm simplifying it. So I think that's a great one. And one that here in my home state of Ohio would be huge. And even our state senator Matt Dolan, who helped pass a provider status really want to help us tackle opioid uh, issue with that provider status. And, this is what you described is a perfect way to do that. So I'm fully supportive of that.
1: Oh, good. You know, we're hearing from our members that physicians that specialize in this are either leaving practice or retiring. And then it kind of just leaves this gap of the, the patients having accessible, not only access, but that kind of one-on-one clinician support. So I, I think it's a really great opportunity for pharmacists to, to step in. And we're definitely capable yeah, and
0: willing. I, I think that's huge and it would provide a, a great opportunity for us to kind of break the stigma, not even just with patients, but even with like the pharmacists ourselves when we're like, Why are these people always coming in two days earlier? You know, that sort of thing. Like we can actually get to know them yeah. a little bit and get to see kinda of, I don't right, say what they're right. going through, but understand them as people. Well, if people yeah. want to find everything ASHP supporting or things of that nature, or even find you, where are some good places they can they can connect that?
1: Oh, that'd be great. On our ASHP website, we have a tab at the top for advocacy. You can get all the latest information there and um, from our government relations team. And, yeah, please email me. I'd love to hear from you at Larson at ashp.org.
0: All right. You guys heard it right here, Larson at ashp.org. And ASHP has an advocacy tab. You can also find everything they're supporting. So, Dr. Larson, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It was great talking to you.
0: Alright, and listeners, thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.